Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He is Jeff Byers. Jeff, are you all ready for some football talk this week, sir? Well, okay. I guess I can do a little football talk. Did I twist your arm? Just this once. I'll I'll go ahead and break down and do it. All right. I'll tell you what. If you're willing to talk some football, I promise you a little bit of wrestling talk at the end. Is that fair? Oh, deal. I'm taking it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's get going. Let's. You know what, Jeff? I, you and I. Uh, met up earlier this week on some other things and of course if you and I sit down have something to eat the talk will obviously turn to college football and what's going on and it was an interesting conversation for me we were talking essentially about the state of college football and what's going on if you think about it we have you know the portal going on we have name, image, and likeness going on. We have conference realignment going on. We have changes to the playoff system. We have the Big Ten and Southeast Conference flexing their muscle. We've got the TV, ESPN and Fox, flexing their muscle. We have collectives. I'm not even sure why they were created or what their exact role is. It's kind of crazy. All of this going on, Jeff, what part of it concerns you the most? Well, it's been interesting, Jim, because, uh, you know, all of the powers that be uh, are also talking an awful lot about the the classroom and the academics and the need for standard. Wait a second. No. (laughs) I, I don't think a single individual here has mentioned the academic component and yet they'll throw out the student athlete term can we do away with the student part of this for the sake of the uh, discussions being had and talk about the athlete because that's what they're doing this is all about athletes athletics sports and zero (laughs) not even an iota uh, to do with academics and I do think you know, I, I've been talking with a couple of former college football coaches, a couple of former Penn State coaches, and that really is, I mean, genuinely their, their concern. They're like, nah, like I love having the, the players have an opportunity to get uh, some of the financial gain. Like that makes sense, probably should have been done a long, long time ago. But part of why they were in it a big part of why they were in it. I think genuinely the reason Joe Baterno was in it. I think a lot of college football coaches uh, were in it because they saw the greater good that this could provide for the players in terms of opportunities to go on and have a, a good life, an impactful life uh, once they finish their playing days. And, you know, that college education is a big deal. Uh, and getting that paid for, being a scholarship athlete, you know, ought to be a big deal. That ought to be life-changing for folks uh, in particular that, that wouldn't otherwise have an opportunity to go to college. You know, the number of players, and I, I mean, I don't have any numbers in front of me, but I, I, there were a lot of players that came through Penn State, I'm sure in the 60s as well, but certainly in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, who were first-generation college graduates, families that until these kids came through and via a football scholarship got the opportunity and took advantage of it. Uh, And, you know, the overwhelming majority of those guys did not go on and play in the NFL, but the overwhelming majority did go on and find success uh, in, in life, in whatever profession they chose. And I do think that that is a legitimate concern. I think it'll be downplayed by folks that uh, think that college athletics has always been just this big business and that the uh, student athletes have been just a you know an expendable commodity in route to get lining the pockets of the administrators and coaches and uh, folks with uh, in the NCAA but I do think that there was uh, 
you know, maybe I'm naive, but I think the majority of coaches, the majority of people involved with college athletics understood that now this is about creating a greater opportunity uh, and, and a societal good uh, with with folks that, again, might not otherwise have had the opportunity to get an education and to make the connections, the networking uh, that, you know, being a Division One college athlete allows you to make. And I, I do worry that that is going to be a lost component in all of this, that the classroom, uh, you know, I, I'm worried that eventually they're going to lower the standards, if that's even possible, of what you need to do to be eligible. Because, again, these teams want the big name athletes, the draws uh, that are going to bring in the fans. And that's that is going to be more important to these folks, getting those uh, individuals involved that will bring eyeballs to the TV set and fannies into the stadium uh, than it is whether or not these kids go on and graduate and, and find a, uh, you know, a profession above and beyond athletics that uh, allows them to, to have success throughout the rest of their life. Jeff, valid point, obviously, that an education should be important to the players. And we all know, you know, what was the, uh, was it Cardell Jones? We're not here to play school. We're here to play football. And, you know, that that is terrible. I'd, I'd still like to think that that is an outlier or at least a minority of the players, that many of them do understand the value of what they're getting as an education. And I hope we don't ever get to that point where they say, okay, let's just make these players employees. They don't have to go to school. They're here to play football f- for the school. Are, yeah, is that a I, possibility I, that we're headed there, Jeff? I, I I worry about it. I mean, I maybe you know I hope maybe it's uh, <laughs> uh, an inaccurate concern, but it just seems at the moment we're getting so caught up in, in the money. And truthfully, again, maybe you need to do the bare minimum right now to, to stay eligible. Uh, but with some of these deals, right, I mean, these kids are, before they even set foot on campus, they've been given, you know, in a couple of cases, and I realize these are the outliers, but I mean, they're making seven figures uh, in some cases before they even get on, on the campus. And again, I get that that's not uh, the norm. But, you know, to me, Jim, and and what I hope and and I think the Big Ten and the SEC are working on in conjunction with the other conferences, but I mean, those two are obviously now the driving force uh, in college athletics. And I I really hope what they are doing in these meetings is trying to come up with a a revenue-sharing plan that has as a component to it the, the need to be on course to, you know, let's say now a five-year, uh, over the course of five years, get that uh, bachelorette degree, and to, at the very least, uh, at the very least, allow the minimum standards that are in place to be there. And again, I don't know exactly how you write this into the contracts. There are so many different components to this that they have to work out. But part of it has to be, right, that you have to maintain a whatever it is. I, I'd like to think it'd be a 2.2 2 or 2, but at least a 2.0 GPA and, uh, you know, attend X amount of classes, 80%, 90% of your classes in order to partake in the revenue sharing. Like, I, I'd like to think that they are going to drive that home as part of the bargain here is, yeah, you have to actually be a college student. Uh, and and pursue that because I do think that's important for for the kids, uh, you know, and you know to to some degree to for society at large. But um, so I I'm hoping that that is, <laughs> however this ultimately gets written, that is part of the verbiage. And I think Jeff, a lot of folks have made nil the boogeyman here, and a couple things with that. I I almost feel like I don't care. If the player is able to make money and that's the only variable, I'm okay with that. That doesn't change the game. I feel it's the other things, conference realignment, the portal, where it's essentially free agency. 
I think those are the bigger issues than just directly NIL and the players being compensated. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. And and listen, I I think <laughs> and you know, I probably hope, given the the path that we're on now, that the um to me the the revenue sharing however that gets worked out. And again, there's a lot of details there to be figured out. Is it a percentage uh, that is given to each player? Is it, you know, do you give a quarterback differently than you give? I I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of arguments uh, to be made and and things to be sorted out there. But once they get that sorted out, to me, Jim, the the need for the the collectives then goes away. It's uh, okay. The, The players now... There is a contract with the school or with whatever the governing body is for college football or college athletics, uh, or maybe both. And it's, you know, all right, the student athlete has to maintain this, these things to uphold his or her end of the contract. The university must fulfill these obligations. And I don't know. You know, part of this is also like, do the networks just directly ultimately pay the the athletes? Does it go through the university? Does it go through the conference? All of that stuff needs to be worked out. But however it is, then to me, the need for the collective goes away. The, the student athletes can still go out and get endorsement deals and all of that, but now they just do it through their through themselves or their agents. Uh, and again, maybe the school sets up, you know, each athletic department says, hey, these are the certified or verifiable agents that we recommend. Um, again, I don't think you want the school saying you have to use uh, only the ones we we have. I, I, I don't think that would hold up in court. But I think you put together a list, hey, these are people that we think are legitimate, would be good, looking out for your interest, uh, all of that. Um, but then you get the, the, the way it's set up now, Jim, to me is just, it's untenable. You have collectives that are kind of in their own world. And I don't think it varies so much from one group to another, how they're handling it, what their base knowledge is, the whole bit. I just think, get it back in control of the athletic departments and the conferences. And at least you have some form of of standardized process uh, when you do it that way. There is no standardization right now when it comes to the collectives. There, There is not, Jeff. And our listeners who have listened to our show earlier this week, I presented my plan. When we get back, I'm going to present it to you and get your take on it. I'm really interested what you have to say. We'll do that right after this. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the simplest way to get the best available odds, and there's never been a better time to sign up. When you visit our page, signupexpert.com KSN, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region. All of these sportsbooks have valuable signup offers for new users, and through our link, you'll automatically receive the top offer at each one. If you want to take advantage of these benefits, sign up for your next sportsbook at signupexpert.com KSN, or see the preferred sportsbook button on our app. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's Jeff, I'm Jim. It's quarter number two of our show. We're talking about the state of college football. And Jeff, when we ended, uh, we're talking about the players getting compensated both through uh, name, image, and likeness, and perhaps even through the schools, television. Those huge television contracts are out there, and the money isn't being shared with the players. Now, here, let me give you a couple of thoughts, first of all, on NIL. It's to the point, the NCAA can't police it, and it's a very simple reason. Every time they've tried to, They've gotten their hands slapped by the courts because essentially the courts are going to say you cannot restrict this person's ability to make money. Any rule you put in as as the NCAA, the tampering rules, the whatever, you are potentially hindering that player's ability to make money. 
I think we need to change our mindset that NIL, it's here, it's here to stay. What do we care if someone is willing to give a player lots of money? Don't care. It doesn't change the player. Where I have the problem is the players now, they're going to the highest bidder and they're changing teams every year. There's free agency every year. The way I think to fix it is the contract with the player where some of that money, all that television revenue, it gets shared with the players. But if the player's going to get paid, he's got a obligation. You talked about the academic portion of it, which I think is a great idea. The other part of it, though, to me should be you're making a three-year commitment to the school. So if we're offering a scholarship at Penn State to a high school player, now he could choose not to sign the contract, okay, because he wants to be a free agent possibly after each season. So be it. But if we would pay the player something, but they also have to commit to Penn State for three years, I think you kind of solve multiple problems. The players get compensated and, you know, you get rid of that, so many of those portal issues. You've got a minimum of three years with the players. Now, one of the things I talked to Landon about this, I offered up the number of $100,000 to every scholarship player. There's 85 scholarship players. So if everybody opted in, that would total $8.5 million a year. Jeff, that's what they're paying the head coach alone. So is that an exorbitant amount of money? And again, the last thought, Landon, I asked Landon, if players were offered that contract out of the 85 scholarship players, how many do you think would take it, give up their free agency for three years for $100,000 a year? His guesstimate was 70 to 75 of the players. Yeah, and again, the players that that – wouldn't that's that's fine again you can uh <laughs> opt in or out and uh you know that that i think i think that makes a lot of sense the one thing and again I, all of this would have to be worked out in the the lawyerese that's going to be uh factored in with all of these deals moving forward but you know if a coach leaves or if i mean there's got to be some parameters there where it's like okay Yes, I you know you were obligated, but you know the school now gets uh, sanctioned for breaking all kinds of rules, and the coach leaves, and all of that. I mean, uh, there will be caveats that would be written into it, obviously. But as a general principle, I like I like the idea, and I think it would be uh, I think it'd be a sellable one. I think the the conferences uh, and and the players, I, I think, would go for that. So. Um, yeah, and I think again, to me, at the end of the day, there, there's no question that the players should, for years, have gotten something. And again, that, I mean, I remember all the way back in the '80s, we were talking about just uh, setting the money in in a trust fund, setting some money aside in a trust fund. And at that time, the idea that was at least being bandied about was the player would get, and it was not an exorbitant amount of money, but you know, let's say fifty thousand dollars back in those days which, uh, you know, would not fly today. But it's like if you graduate, so you have that additional incentive of staying with your team and then graduating. But if you graduate, then you get the 50000 or whatever it is. I mean, making up the number. But, um, you know, so I think you want to maintain some sense of, I think, academic, uh, academic integrity while also, yes, allowing the players to – uh, enjoy the uh, the fruits of their labor, and um, you know, again, it's a tricky. Uh, they're they're trying to navigate some tricky territory here. Uh, they being those that are in charge of of intercollegiate athletics. And listen, we're, I mean, we're talking about football only right now, but basketball is a whole different animal. And I think it's it, you know that's got to be figured out then. And then again, the non-revenue sports and exactly how that gets uh, worked out, uh, and and what amount of money those student athletes receive if, if they're on scholarship and all of that, uh, you know, all, all of that stuff. Again, just uh, I'm glad I don't have to be <laughs> involved in that uh, because it is it's a whole lot that they 
have on their plate right now that you're trying to figure out. Uh, and again, you're wanting to be fair to the to all of the student athletes, certainly to the football players. But I think they're you genuinely want to keep uh, the college college sports, college life component to it. Uh, and I think that's difficult uh, in in this world and and with you know big money now entering in in a way uh, greater than even ever before. Uh, trying to to keep that collegiate feel <laughs> to the uh, sports scene, I think, is going to be a difficult task. It will be. And the part of this, you brought this up when we were chatting the other day, is is there an obligation for the university to have to pay the other athletes? Now, football, it's obviously that's what we're talking about. And they're the ones generating the revenue. So it's football money that's going to the football players. And if if you say, uh, you know, there might be schools that are already, they're losing money with their football programs. Well, that's where it's kind of, we already have different divisions. And this is the standard for that top division. If you want to opt out, you can opt out. But... If you want to play with the big boys, this is the obligation. But the question then becomes the other sports. By compensating the football players, are there any rules, laws, Title IX that would force you to have to compensate the other athletes? Yeah, and I think, you know, and this is part of the tricky uh, tricky territory that I think they're trying to navigate because part of this then, Jim, becomes, well, and that's why, again, I – I'm worried that somewhere down the the road, I mean, I don't think this would be immediate, but I am worried that at some point down the road, the folks involved with football recognize the money that is there and say to themselves, why are we sharing it uh, with the the other athletes, with the other programs? uh, And could we just develop, for lack of a better term, a minor league system that has a correlation, but not a direct relationship with the colleges so that it would be, you know, maybe the Happy Valley Nittany Lions moving forward, the Tuscaloosa Crimson Tide, that that sort of thing. I, I, again, I don't think that's an immediate uh, concern, uh, but I, I do wonder if at some point down the road, I mean, I, I think most of the stuff I'm seeing written right now, the the inclination seems to be to set aside some portion of money. And again, the devil will be in the details here, but set aside some portion of money to, uh, you know, through basically have the football programs, the so-called big time football programs set up a, you know, a 501C, a, a nonprofit uh, that, you know, I think would help them on the tax front and all of that uh, and fund uh, to whatever degree they decide to here the non-revenue or Olympic sports that, uh, you know, everything outside of men's basketball and uh, football. Now, exactly how that then gets uh, regulated in terms of Title Nine. That I don't know. That's above my my pay grade and even my understanding of what uh, may or may not be decided there by the courts. Um, but, you know, clearly if the, the universities are running it, the athletic programs are running it, uh, and for the foreseeable future, I think that is going to be the case, then I think Title IX does come into play here and there has to be, uh, you know, some equity here in terms of the opportunities that are given to scholarship athletes, uh, male and female. The problem there, Jeff, is the case of unintended consequences. Somebody says, you know what? We want to take care of more than just the football players. Other folks should benefit also. We should make sure they get compensated. Well, you know how the universities are going to answer that. We're just going to have fewer sports. That already happens, Jeff. There are schools that don't have nearly as many uh, different sports as, say, a Penn State does. 
And the reason for that is we're, we're vested in football. Maybe we're also vested in basketball. And Title IX says you have to have as many uh, scholarship or women's athletics opportunities as you do men's. So here's how we'll fix it. Gee, this women's program isn't making money, so we drop that. Well, to, to satisfy Title IX, we just drop a comparable men's sport. And there's our solution, Jeff. And that's what you get for trying to compensate everybody. Yeah. Well, and again, I, it's one of the things that I've been saying for, for a while is, is what I, uh, I'm i half expecting, I, I guess. I, I'm not uh, all the way in that this is the only solution. But uh, I, do, I do wonder and I kind of feel like what, what this is going to end up looking like is we're going to have fewer you know, division one or big time football programs. As you said, I think we're going to have, you know, whatever the number is, 50, 70 teams, uh, schools that are going to be like, nope, we want to go all in on, on big time football. And I think you're going to have uh, smaller amounts of the other sports where you're going to have limited uh, numbers of teams uh, competing in the other sports. All right, Jeff, that's got to be it for quarter number two. We'll pick this up on the other side. Stay with us. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the simplest way to get the best available odds, and there's never been a better time to sign up. When you visit our page, signupexpert.com slash KSN, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region. All of these sportsbooks have valuable signup offers for new users, and through our link, you'll automatically receive the top offer at each one. If you want to take advantage of these benefits, sign up for your next sportsbook at signupexpert.com slash KSN, or see the preferred sportsbook button on our app. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's Jeff, I'm Jim. This is quarter number three of our show. Jeff, we've been talking about the future of the state of college football. And I think we're both a little fearful of where things are headed. And what scares me about some of this is that, again, I'll use that expression, unintended consequences. And when the the answer to some of these issues, it ends up being decided by the court system. And you got to remember, the court system isn't there to say, you know, this isn't good or bad or whatever for college football. Their job is to follow the law. And if the law says you can't do anything to infringe on a person's ability to make money, guess what? That determines how NIL is going to be treated. I'm, a, I'm still of the feeling that we've turned NIL into the boogeyman. To me, it's a lot of these other issues that are, you know, the transfer portal essentially being free agency you know, a conference realignment where you have a Cal and a Stanford in the Atlantic Coast Conference, and it's all being driven by television. If if Fox weren't willing to pay the Big Ten a lot of money to bring in USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington, it would not have happened, right? No doubt. Yeah, and I think, listen, at, at the end of the day, from the, from a product standpoint, uh, this this may be a good thing. I, I think it's not going to be good in terms of the opportunities that are provided to high school students to get collegiate scholarships. Uh, because I and, and much like Title IX, I mean, obviously there were a lot of uh, good things that came from Title IX, but the overall opportunities dropped because you had a lot of administrations uh, looked at it and said, listen, we're going to just drop, you know, six men's sports and then we'll get to an even number instead of adding nine women's sports. Uh, And so, and I think much the the same thing here, uh, you know, to finish up what I was talking about at the end of last segment, I, I, I think, 
you're going to have a limited number of schools that are going to be saying that, yeah, you know what, we we want our big time football, but we also we love our women's basketball or we love our women's gymnastics or women's volleyball uh, or wrestling or and so but a lot of schools that uh, don't have the resources are, are going to say, no, nope, we'll just, uh, you know, we're good with just a handful of sports. So I think you'll still have, uh, I think, scholarship sports, varsity sports, as we call it now, at the Division One level. But I think you're going to see the number of programs drop substantially. Uh, and I think you're going to see... Uh, and again, from a competitive standpoint, right? Like when Penn State, and we just saw Penn State wrestle Edinburgh, it was 55 nothing. Well, that's not <laughs> from a competitive standpoint. Like fans aren't, uh, man, I wonder who's going to win th- th- this one. So from a competitive standpoint, if you drop down, like men's gymnastics right now, I think is down to 20 schools or so. I mean, it, it, there are not many men's gymnastics programs. But the caliber of gymnastics uh, like you are getting nothing but uh, you know the top level guys coming out. Uh, so again, fewer opportunities, arguably better competition. Um, I don't know. At the end of the day, it feels like a loss to me for uh, college athletics, but uh, it also feels kind of like an inevitable result of the path that we're heading down now. I, I I agree with you, Jeff, on that, and and it's unfortunate. Like I said, I keep using the expression "unintended consequences." I want to change gears a little bit, but still stay with you know the football and the changes going on, and it's also an indication of the power structure within college football. Right now, the television, the playoffs are set for the next two seasons. Beyond that. The assumption was, well, they just went to the 12 teams. Is that where we're going to stay? And now, all of a sudden, we're seeing all this momentum to change it to a 14-team playoff, Jeff, where we'll only do the 12-team thing for two years. We'll shift to 14 teams. And the driving force behind this, obviously, it's money, but the two conferences, the Southeast Conference and the Big Ten, They're combining their weight, pushing everybody else around, and apparently they want automatic bids beyond just the conference champion. And what's being bandied about is a 14-team playoff with this setup for automatic bids. Both the Southeast Conference and the Big Ten would get three automatic bids. The Big 12 ACC each get two automatic bids. Group of five gets one. And there would only be three at-large uh, uh, bids put put out there. Jeff, this just strikes me as wrong. Win your conference, you qualify. After that, right now, yeah, I, I think the Big Ten and Southeast Conference would get minimum three bids, especially with a 14-team playoff. Why do they need automatic bids? Yeah, I I agree. There's a couple of things too, Jim. Why are we? Why not just go right to the 16 team format? Because the the other part of this that, and maybe I'm missing something, and I feel like that's quite likely, <laughs> given that it's me. <laughs> but honestly, if you're one of the top two teams in the country, why would you not want the home gate from a playoff game, and especially a game that you are feeling very strongly that you are going to win. I mean, a one versus 16 or two versus 15. But to me, this is just bypassing those two teams. It's like, yeah, no, we'll just pass on the opportunity here to collect another paycheck. I mean, if it is all about money, and I think it is, I, I, I genuinely don't really understand why you wouldn't just go ahead and take advantage of the opportunity there for the top eight teams to all get the, the, revenue from a home playoff game. So that part confuses me slightly. Uh, and then, yes, I, I don't I don't like the idea. Conference champions, yes, uh, automatic. But you don't know. I, I mean, right now, it, it's kind of impossible to imagine 
right? That the top three teams in the Big Ten and the SEC won't be in uh, if you go. I mean, I think they'll be in if, on a 12 team format, uh, but certainly going to 14. So it just, one, it seems unnecessary. And two, it, it, it feels like you're hedging your bets so that if down the road your conference starts to not perform so well, well, that just seems silly to me. Uh, because then again, you're rewarding mediocrity. If if we get to a, a place, and I, you know, it's conceivable, I guess, that there's a year where, man, there's just two great teams in the SEC or in the Big Ten, and everybody else is, you know, middle of the road, and you have a year where there's three or four teams in the other conferences. Well, I mean, why would I mean, even if you're the SEC or the Big Ten, I mean, I get it from a revenue standpoint, but you don't want like a nine and three team that lost to two mediocre football teams at best out there getting shellacked in the playoffs like that. That's not doing your brand any good. Um, I don't know. So to me, it's just, it's not necessary right now. One and two, it just seems like you're stacking the deck even further on a deck that's already stacked heavily in your favor with the Big Ten and the SEC. Well, the only... I don't like it. Let me start with that. But here's... I'm playing devil's advocate. Here's what I would think is their justification. Gee, in the ACC or in the Big 12, you're not playing every week. Georgia and Missouri and Ole Miss and LSU and Alabama and Georgia, there's a very strong argument that our 8-4 and four teams are better than your 10-2 and two teams. Our 9-3 and three teams are better than your, you know, 10-2 uh, and two or 9-3. and three. And it's a way, it's a guarantee. But to your point, you know, the conferences still change, but I suspect that's their argument, Jeff. Yeah, although, you know, it is going to be interesting because there's a lot of projections out there, and I think they're right, that eventually, and I think it'll be fairly soon, we're going to go to one or two super conferences, and you're going to get back to more regional play, which is going to be, (laughs) I think, both good, but also a little ironic that as we've continued to go down the path of uh, everybody being everywhere, uh, that then we get back to the Northeast teams playing the Northeast teams, the West teams playing the West. But I think eventually that's going to happen. And maybe at that point, hey, it's just, yeah, you take the top two teams in each region. You, you separate it out to eight regions uh, or you know four regions and you take the top four teams from each. Again, no matter what you do, there's going to be an argument made. I mean, I think everybody understands that. You see it in college basketball I mean, we have 68 teams. They're talking about expanding it to uh, whatever, to 90-some. You can expand it to 200 teams, and it's, you're going to have a debate over 200 and 201. But I think if you got to 16 teams and you got four teams from each, you know, the four best teams from the Northeast, four best teams from the Southwest, four best teams from the Midwest, and four best from the, the West, uh, somewhere in there you feel pretty good that, yeah, you've got the best teams uh, that are out there. Again, there's going to be debate and there'll be years where, hey, this, you know, the third and fourth team from the Northeast aren't as good as the fifth and sixth team. You, you live with it. It's just like what happens in the Major League Baseball playoffs. Or in the NFL when you have a nine and seven conference yeah. winner and they end up with a home game. It, it will happen. I, I think you're right that ultimately there'll be a, a group, you're either in or you're not to that high level group. I I do believe, though, Jeff, the only mistake, and I've seen some people, that number varies quite a bit, and I've had some people say, oh, the top, you know, like 32 teams. The problem with that is all of a sudden you have a new bottom of the curve, okay? You have someone right now, all these teams, hey, in the conference you've got Indiana and Rutgers to play, plus you have four out-of-conference games that you beat up on somebody, so... I may not be a great team, but I still get eight, go eight and four, have a winning record, and the alumni still show up for games because we're a winning team. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and you know you, you roll with that. That's why I think the number should be you know like sixty four teams, where the numbers, the math works, Jeff. 
All right, we're going to have to finish up on that topic. As promised, when we come back, quarter number four, we're going to talk some wrestling. And no better person to talk to about wrestling than our own Jeff Byer. Stay tuned for that coming up right after this break. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the simplest way to get the best available odds, and there's never been a better time to sign up. When you visit our page, signupexpert.com KSN, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region. All of these sportsbooks have valuable signup offers for new users, and through our link, you'll automatically receive the top offer at each one. If you want to take advantage of these benefits, sign up for your next sportsbook at signupexpert.com KSN, or see the preferred sportsbook button on our app. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. He's Jeff. I'm Jim. We just uh, spent three segments, Jeff. Fixing college football. Now let's move on to a topic near and dear to your heart, and that is Penn State wrestling. You uh, mentioned earlier about uh, finishing up the season with a route, a big-time win. It's now time for postseason. First of all, could you just explain, what is the schedule going forward for the wrestling team? Yeah, so the Big Ten Wrestling Championships are March 9th and 10th at College Park, Maryland, and there's a a qualifying system there for getting to the NCAA tournament. So basically, uh, it'll vary by weight class, but during the course of the season, the conferences, uh, well, the individuals in the weight class uh, have earned a spot and allocation in the national tournament for their conference. Uh, and this is based on, you know, strength of schedule, win-loss record. There's a bunch of things that get factored into it. And so the NCAA allocates, and it will vary a little bit by weight class, but 33 wrestlers will end up qualified for the NCAA tournament at each weight class. And usually it's a 28 or 29 uh, it can be as, as few as 27 and as many as 30 that get automatic uh, qualifying for the national tournament. And then there's at-large bids at each weight class. So I think all 10 weight classes in the Big Ten will have at least seven automatic qualifiers. So if you finish in the top seven at your weight class in the Big Ten tournament, you are heading to the NCAA tournament. Uh, and again, at some weight classes, it'll be as many as 10 uh, that get automatic berths to the uh, NCAA tournament. And then again, there'll be at-large bids and depending on, you know, upsets and all of that, but it, it's, they, they try to take the next best four or five wrestlers uh, at each weight class then. Uh, but it allows for guys that, you know, either have injuries or just, you know, subpar tournament, but they were terrific all season long. Uh, you still allow them to get rewarded with uh, an opportunity to head to the national tournament. Okay, so it's not completely do or die at the conference tournament. Correct. Yeah, it, it's again if you if you place within for sure in the the Big Ten at each weight class, it's at least seven. So again, if you place anywhere in there, and it doesn't matter what you did during the regular season, you could be you know zero and twenty during the regular season, and if you place in the top seven at the Big Ten tournament, you're, you're heading to this year to be Kansas City for the national tournament. But the flip side is also true. If you have, you know, an undefeated season, go to the tournament or the Big Ten tournament, either because of injury or just upsets, you can still make it to the nationals. Yes. Yeah. And and, and I think it's a good system. I, I For a while there, it was a pretty flawed system, I think, that college wrestling had. Uh, but I think most would agree that the th- this is a, uh, I think, a pretty just way to do it. And I think, I, like anything we were talking about earlier, I mean, I'm sure there's some debates still about, oh, I can't believe my guy, you know, I, our guy was 32 or 33, <laughs> and you guys left him out at 34, 35. Again, you're, you're going to have debates no matter what. Uh, but I, I think you're getting probably 33 of the top 35 guys uh, pretty safely in the national tournament each year. I think that's a, a pretty good uh, 
hitting percentage that the NCAA has in terms of getting the wrestlers that are most deserving of being. You're going to definitely have the very best guys. All right, let's talk about this Penn State team. They go into this uh, Big Ten tournament. First of all, are they healthy? What should we expect? All 10 guys to qualify and move on, Jeff? Yeah, I think that is the expectation for for Penn State. I mean, all 10 guys are ranked in the top 11. Obviously, the big question is Carter Storacci and the right knee that he injured and had to be helped off the mat uh, against Edinburgh. My my guess, and this is not inside information, I've, it's the most asked question I've had all, all week, is uh, <laughs> Storacci and whether or not he's going to go in the postseason. I truly don't have – I've kind of – made myself uh, willfully ignorant on this uh, just throughout this week. and uh, But they got the MRI back on Monday, so they know, they being the coaches and Carter, and you know if, if there is somebody that needs to fill in for them, they know now what the, uh, the situation is uh, regarding his status for the, for the Big Tens. My guess, and it's just purely a guess on, uh, on what we saw, uh, at the end of that Edinburgh meet, is that Carter uh, will weigh in? I, like I, unless like he just absolutely can't do anything off of that knee, like can't put any weight on it at all. I, he's just a guy that I mean, he's going to go. Uh, so I, I'm expecting that they'll tape it up, do whatever they need to do. Now, because of his resume, Jim, he is a guy that could go out there and just wrestle one second say he can't continue, take the injury default, medically forfeit out, and he'll get an at-large bid. Uh, I think that is at least a distinct possibility here uh, for Storacci going into the Big Ten tournament. But I think the rest of the team, at least so far as I know, is is healthy and ready to go. And, yeah, I think Penn State certainly goes into the tournament, the Big Ten tournament, expecting uh, that it will have its full contingent of 10 heading to the NCAA championships. Well, I was going to ask you that question about an injury. You talked about getting on the mat and then just doing a medical medical issue. He can't do that like ahead of time and say, hey, look, I can't perform this week in the Big Tens, but then still get in the Nationals. Does he have to make an appearance there? He does. So the the way uh, he has to compete, and you know, I'll use air quotes there, compete in the the Big Ten tournament. So he has to make weight. That's the one big thing. So you you've got to make weight uh, on Saturday morning, uh, March ninth, and then again, you you have to compete. Now, competing is showing up, and again, one second goes off the clock. Now, you know, we've had situations before where the two coaches. You know, the coaches will uh, ahead of time notify the other coach, hey, do not shoot into my guy. You've got the win. We're taking the injury default, you know, and they're respectful of that. So, um, but yeah, you have to show up, you have to make weight and you have to be on the mat for a second. That is all you need to do to make yourself eligible for consideration. And again, in Starachi's case, with the resume he has this season, he would get an at-large bid uh, guaranteed. Okay, now, what are the expectations levels for the team in the Big Ten and the Nationals? How many individual titles, say, let's start with the Big Ten tournament, would make the fan base say, yes, we've met expectations? Well, you know, it's funny because I was just talking with somebody, uh, a national uh, wrestling writer, and we were talking about the Starachi situation and just the the overall uh, look of the team race this year for the NCAA tournament. And truthfully, obviously, Starachi, losing Starachi would be a big blow. Uh, But even without Starachi, like you just take him completely out of the lineup, uh, and mind you, Penn State already lost Shane Van Ness, who was ranked second at the time uh, when he suffered his injury back at the uh, start of the season. So you're losing two legitimate national title contenders uh, in, in your lineup. Uh, and even if that happened, and again, I don't think that's going to be the case with Starachi, but even if that did happen, that Starachi just withdraws altogether, Penn State is such an overwhelming favorite, Jim, to win both Big Tens and Nationals. Again, I don't know that we've ever seen anything quite like it in terms of the overall depth uh, that this Penn State team has. Um, But, you know, I think Penn State goes into the Big Ten tournament thinking that 
all 10 of their guys are certainly uh, capable of finishing in the top three anyway at the Big Ten tournament. Uh, and I think Penn State probably pretty firmly believes that uh, all 10 of their guys are capable of finishing in the top five at the NCAA championships. Now, that doesn't mean either of those things are going to happen. I mean, there's a couple of weight classes there where, again, that variance at Big Tens is probably three to seven, and at, big, at Nationals is five to not placing, to being, you know, like a round of uh, 12 uh, or even a round of 16 guys. So, uh, but they have guys that are all 10 of the starters are certainly in the mix for all America honors here uh, this season. And at the big 10 tournament, again, I think all, all 10 would be in the mix for top three finishes. Obviously they'll have five number one seeds. Starachi will be one of those uh, at the big 10 tournament. And then, you know, I think all of the other guys will be seated anywhere from two to five. I don't think they'll have anybody seated lower than five at the, uh, the big 10 tournament. Which couple wrestlers are you most interested in seeing, Jeff? The, the two freshmen for me, Jim, are just, I, I think, going to be really fascinating watches. Uh, Braden Davis at 125 and Tyler Kasak at 149. Uh, I think both of these guys came into the season not, uh, not really expecting to be the starters. I think at 125, Robbie Howard was kind of penciled in. And certainly at 149, Shane Van Ness was expected to be the starter. So, uh, because of injury and and just depletion uh, at 125, these two are, are in there, uh, and I think you know both have had some bumps in the road for sure. Uh, but I think this is where the the coaching staff really comes into play, Jim. And I think trying to get these guys uh, healthy in the right frame of mind and feeling loose going into the the postseason tournaments is a a big deal. I think both of these guys are capable of of being big time surprises, like being right there in contention for national title uh, type of good. Uh, But certainly neither is guaranteed of that. And I don't think it would be shocking. It'd be disappointing, but I don't think shocking uh, if either went 0-2 at the the national tournament. Uh, But I think I'm really excited to see how both respond here in the Big Ten tournament. And then again, the adjustments that they'll make uh, with the help of the coaching staff uh, between Big Tens and Nationals. Uh, the other two that would, you know, to me, Jim, be worth keeping an eye on, just again, in terms of ready to turn it, turn it on for the tournament, is Aaron Nagao, who had some illness issues for kind of the final month of the season there, and Bernie Truax, who has just had a knack of turning it on when he needs to in the postseason. Uh, I, I think both of those guys, again, same thing, I, I think have a chance to be Really pleasant surprises here for Penn State in terms of where they finish on the podium, both at Big Tens and at the NCAA championships. Very quick in the half minute we have left, who's the biggest threat? I think Iowa at Big Tens is is still the biggest threat. They, they're just they are a really good team, uh, top to bottom, uh, and I think Nebraska would be the next team that I would pencil in as you know having the the potential to make a run. Uh, and then at Nationals, uh, probably Iowa and Nebraska still would be there. I think Michigan at Nationals uh, could work its way in. But truthfully, in terms of a legitimate threat to uh, you know, not allowing Penn State to win the title, other than injury, Jim, I, I don't think there's one out there, to be honest with you. All right, Jeff, that's the final word for this show on wrestling. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you all for being here. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the simplest way to get the best available odds, and there's never been a better time to sign up. When you visit our page, signupexpert.com slash KSN, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region. All of these sportsbooks have valuable sign-up offers for new users, and through our link, you'll automatically receive the top offer at each one. If you want to take advantage of these benefits, sign up for your next sportsbook at signupexpert.com slash KSN, or see the preferred sportsbook button on our app.